dear friends in Jesus Christ, within the Christian religion, we have a multitude of different denominations, and within the various denominations, unfortunately, there is a variety of different beliefs on the topic of baptism. It's such an important fundamental thing, yet there are a lot of different teachings out there, and it's so important that we're always going with whatever the Bible says and never what simply makes sense to us. In today's sermon, we're going to take a look at the actual baptism of Jesus, and then we're going to take a look at some other questions that are connected with baptism. So I want to state the questions, give you some answers, and I hope you can see how they tie in with the Bible. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 3 today, and going right to Jesus' baptism, we're picking up in verse 13, and the Bible says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. So question here, where was Jesus living at the time, at the time when he came to where John was, where was he living? Well, he was living in Nazareth. So he's up north, he's in the region of Galilee, living there in Nazareth. So he makes the trip all the way down to where John was baptizing, And maybe it's a trip of maybe 80 miles or something to walk down to where John was doing his work of baptizing. Think about where we're at now in the gospel according to Matthew. We're at the end of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 4 is where Jesus is led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then immediately after that, that's where the Bible tells us that then he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. So you can see on the map there, we have Nazareth indicated with the red arrow and then Capernaum right there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. When we think about Capernaum, that's where much of his ministry takes place and that was the home of Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. All of them lived right there in Capernaum and the other disciples lived kind of in that general area. And then, where was John baptizing? Well, I mentioned it was maybe 80 miles to the south. So, it tells us in the Bible that he was baptizing at a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan. Now, we think about the regular Bethany that we're more familiar with, and that's very close to Jerusalem. So, Bethany beyond the Jordan, you'd have to head east almost 20 miles in order, so you'd have to cross the Jordan, and then right there, we believe that was a location where John was doing his baptizing. And like I've stated before, some Bible commentators believe that possibly a quarter of a million people made the journey out to where John was baptizing in order to be baptized by him. Talk about having like dishwater hands after all that baptizing. Going further here then, Thinking about Jesus, when was he baptized? Well, we believe he was baptized when he was 30 years old. So why wasn't he baptized as an infant? People would think, well, wait a minute, why not? Let's think about something else here for a moment. So thinking about a cell phone, I'm guessing that most of you probably have a cell phone today, But why is it that you didn't have one before 1983? What's the reason for that? Well, the reason is that they did not exist in the United States prior to 1983. 
Now, the cell phone was invented in 1973. That's when the first cell phone call was actually made, but they were not available here until 1983. Like somebody my age, I didn't have one when I was a kid because they did not exist. That's the point. So when we think about Jesus, why was he not baptized as an infant? Because at that time, baptism did not exist. So when did baptism begin? It began when God commanded John to go out to Bethany beyond the Jordan and begin baptizing. So he commanded John to do that probably when he was 30 years old. John, we know, was six months older than Jesus. So John begins baptizing. Jesus is probably 29 and a half years old. When he's 30 years old, he goes there to John and he's baptized. So it wasn't available before that time. Why does the Bible include so many adult baptisms? See, a lot of people come to this conclusion. They're looking at the Bible and they're like, all these adults are being baptized, so that must be what we should be doing. We should wait until people are either older, older children, youth, adults, and baptize them then, because that's kind of the pattern with much of the Bible, but that's not the pattern that God wants to show us. We have right there with what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, what does Jesus say? He says, baptize in order to make them disciples, and then after, you are to teach them. So, baptizing first, teaching second, that's what Jesus laid out to be the pattern. But what do we have in the Bible, though? We have much teaching first, and then baptizing second, well, that's because these people did not have the opportunity to be baptized when they were infants. Baptism did not exist at that time. Let's go on in the text here, continuing with verse 14. But John tried to prevent Jesus, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to John, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John permitted him, permitted Jesus to be baptized. So what is the purpose of baptism? Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us that right from the very moment of conception, we have sin. So we have inherited that sin. So as soon as we are physically alive, we have that sin. So baptism is taking care of that sin. But it's not taking care of, some people get this idea that baptism is taking care of the original sin, but then somehow, in some other manner, we need to take care of our own actual sins. But that's not true, though. Baptism is talking about bringing us into a relationship with Jesus Christ who took away the sin of the world. It's talking about being clothed in Christ. And as we continue to be clothed in Christ, we continue to have God's forgiveness. God continues to see us as righteous because he's seeing the righteousness of Christ. He's not seeing us as poor, miserable sinners. Why is it that John needed baptism? 
He said to Jesus, I'm the one who need to, needs to be baptized here. Why are you asking me to baptize you? Well, he was like us. He was a sinner, so he needed baptism. Why did Jesus not need baptism? He was sinless. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. What did Jesus' baptism signify then? Or we might say, why did he even go through the process of being baptized if he had no sin? You could kind of think about it like this. So John was baptizing for forgiveness. So when Jesus stepped up to be baptized, he was basically saying, I am here to officially take upon myself all of those sins that are being forgiven. I'm going to take them upon myself in time. I'm going to receive the punishment. I'm going to pay the full price, and I'm going to eventually lay down my life. So think about it like that. Let's go on picking up with verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So how is each person of the Holy Trinity present in connection with Jesus' baptism? We know that Jesus was standing on the shore. We know that God the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form of a dove. And we know that God the Father he did two things. First of all, he is the one who anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, and then he spoke from heaven, identifying who Jesus really is. I really had to search for a proper image here, and um, I just wanted to explain that real quick. So it's not a very good image, but you can see that Jesus is standing on the shore. Take a look at the text again. That's exactly what it says. But there are like many, many images on Google, and almost every single one of them has him standing in the water as if this happened in connection with the baptism. But the Bible makes it clear, though, that he's in the water, he's baptized, and then after his baptism, that is when he steps out of the water, and then that is when God the Father anoints him with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, we could jump back to the Old Testament and think about Samuel. So what did he do? He went to Saul and he anointed him with oil to be the first king. And then after Saul uh, did not follow the ways of God, then Samuel went and he anointed David to be the second king, pouring oil on his head. Dr. Giesler has helped me understand that what God the Father did is he anointed his son, and what kind of oil did he use? He used, he used what the Bible calls the oil of joy. So he was using the Holy Spirit to anoint him. And when he anointed him, what happened to Jesus at that point? That is when he officially became the Messiah, the Christ, because what do both of those words mean? They mean the anointed one. So that happened right there on the shore when God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. 
What did God the Father say about this Jesus? He made it so clear, this is my beloved son. That's what Epiphany is about a lot. God the Father pointing out who Jesus is so we have no question about it. How should we respond to who Jesus is? Well, let us be certain of who he is. Let us trust in him as our Savior. And then thinking maybe back to our epistle reading today, let us engage that battle between the new nature and the old nature and let us seek to honor our Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. What I've said so far has been dealing with the baptism of Jesus And even though it touches on baptism in a number of ways, let's keep in mind that with the baptism of Jesus itself, it is very different than our baptisms. He had no sin, we do have sin, and on and on. Let's get to some other baptism questions here. So first of all, what is a mystery? Taking a look at a dictionary definition here, a mystery is something that is difficult or impossible to understand or explain. When we think about the Bible, the Bible in many places is like so simple, so easy to understand. Let's rejoice in that. In other places in the Bible, it is more difficult, but with a lot of diligent study and the blessing of God, we can figure out what it means. There are other places in the Bible that are a mystery. So God knows all about it, but the thing is, he has not revealed to us how to understand that mystery. Whenever God has a mystery in the Bible, what is so important for us to do, it's so important to leave it a mystery. What so many Christian churches and Christians do today is they take the mysteries and they try to explain them with common sense. In most cases, if not in all, when they apply their common sense to a mystery, it makes some sense actually, but the problem is it ends up contradicting other parts of the Bible. When it's a mystery and God leaves it a mystery, we cannot explain it in a common sense way. It just isn't going to work. That's so critical when we come to these things that God has left a mystery. So with baptism, does baptism have any power? Many people are teaching today that baptism is strictly symbolical and completely powerless. That's what many people hold to today. But what's something we can say about baptism? Well, baptism is God working through the word spoken and through the water to forgive sins. To forgive sins is a pretty powerful thing. I mean, no human being can forgive sins in the sight of God. Only God himself can forgive sins. That's a powerful thing. Let me give you a couple, a couple examples of forgiveness. So think back to the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2. Peter said to the people, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then thinking further in the book of Acts there in chapter 22, that's where Paul was telling what happened when he was converted. And that is when Ananias was with Paul and Ananias said to Paul, get up and be baptized and wash 
away your sins. When we have sin, we can use the strongest detergent on our bodies and we cannot wash away any sin. Only God can do it. So we know that God has to be working through baptism. One other point I wanted to mention here. So when we think about a gift, now maybe some of you are thinking about a gift you got for Christmas. Maybe some of you had this situation where maybe someone gave you a box and inside the box there were multiple gifts or maybe a gift bag. That's the thing today, isn't it? So much easier, the wrapping presents, stick the stuff in a bag. But oftentimes though in a bag, you have multiple gifts in the same bag. When God gives the forgiveness of sins, that is not the only gift. When we have forgiveness of sins, that means that we have spiritual life. We are alive in Christ. That means that we have the gift of eternal life. That means that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. So when we think about forgiveness, there are a whole package of blessings that God has given. Let's rejoice that we have these great gifts of God. So Next question, does baptism save? You might remember the sermon I preached on Christmas Day. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to either pick up a copy or go to our website or go to the YouTube channel and check it out. Now, I wasn't trying to preach on baptism. We were focusing on the birth of Christ and what he came to do. But in that text, though, in Titus chapter 3, it is so clear. This is part of what it says. It says, God the Father saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? Washing of regeneration, renewing? That's exactly what God is doing in baptism. And what does it say? God saved us in that way. So when it comes to a baptism, I say a few words and I apply a little bit of water but I have no ability to save. I have no ability to forgive sins in the sight of God. God is at work to do it. So God is working. God the Father is working by the Holy Spirit through baptism to save. Another question here, what is the direction of baptism? Is it something that's coming from us that we are doing toward God like confessing that we are believers, or is it something that God is doing to us to forgive our sins, to save us, and to make us his holy children? That's a very opposite kind of a thing. And let's understand that within the Christian church today, there are many who believe it is from us to God, and there are many others that believe it is from God to us. Which is it? Well, think about it like this. Since the Bible teaches that baptism forgives and saves, the direction can only be from God to us since no one is able to save himself. It has got to be from God to us. That is what the Bible is teaching. Think about what Jesus said there in John chapter 6. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Again, the Bible is indicating to us that we are in such trouble. There's nothing we can do to go to God. God has to come to us. 
I put the passages there in the folder. I'll let you look at them on your own. But the Bible makes it clear, though, that prior to God making us alive in Christ, we were spiritually blind, we were spiritually dead, we were spiritual enemies of God. If you ever want to help someone understand this a little bit better, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is like so beautiful and so simple. So in verse 1, it says, prior to God's work to make us alive, we are dead in our sins. That was, that's what Paul was saying to those Christians in Ephesus. He was reminding them, prior to what God did, you guys were dead in your sins. Verses 2 and 3, Paul makes it clear that before God made us alive, we were objects of God's wrath. We were deserving of eternal punishment. And then we come to verses 4 and 5, and we see God's beautiful powerful work to make us alive in Christ. So it's not us going to God at all. It is definitely God coming to us to do the impossible, to make us alive, to make us his holy children, even though in reality we are all rotten sinners. Let me conclude like this for today. What are important parental responsibilities when we think about baptism? Well, here at Bethlehem, we have what we call a baptism information packet, and we keep, keep copies of that out by our main entrance, and anyone who wants to be baptized, they should pick up a copy of that. I think there are about six steps in there that we're asking people to follow in order to make the preparation. Actually, the best thing to do is when someone is pregnant, while they are pregnant, I would say pick up the packet, go through all the steps, and even schedule the baptism because the doctors today are so accurate at predicting the due date that you could say, well, my due date is here and maybe a week or so later, let's go ahead and schedule the baptism. It's an important thing. We want our child to have these great gifts of God as soon as possible. So if anyone is in need of that, you can pick up a packet in the back. The final comment I want to make is going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're thinking about some of the important things that Moses was saying to the descendants of Jacob prior to him dying and prior to them getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. So let me just summarize it here, but I would encourage you, though, to open your Bible and read Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. It is just super, super important. Basically, what Moses is saying to the people, he's saying, parents, it is essential that you have the word of God upon your hearts. What does that mean to have the word of God upon our hearts? It means we know what it says. We understand what it says. We believe it is true, and we are trying to live it out in our lives. So important that parents are that way. And then, what does it say after that? Moses says to them, now that you have that word of God in a most important way, now take every opportunity every day in order to impress that word of God upon your children. Whew, when I think back to that, 
Kathy and I did a lot with our children in the Word of God as they were growing up, but we could have done so much more. Oh my goodness, if we had a chance to have a redo here, we would do so much more with the Word of God. Life doesn't work that way, does it? I think with the Hilliker family, they are so good at knowing the Word of God and impressing it upon their children. Boy, they are such a shining example. For the rest of us, we can't go back, but we can do the best we can, though, to say, well, wait a minute, I can't go backwards, but right now, though, I want to know that Word of God. I'm going to believe it to be true. I'm going to live it out in my life. And then, as we have opportunity with our children, with our grandchildren, with our great-grandchildren, let's do everything we can to impress the Word of God upon them. When we do that, what happens, whenever we're dealing with the Word of God, that's a powerful thing because we know that God the Holy Spirit is at work through that Word to do things that we can't do. So we share the Word and then we entrust people to God and say, God, work through that Word and do what I cannot do and forgive them, save them, bring them into your kingdom, grow them up in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, from your holy word, we know you anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit to make him the Messiah, to make him the Christ. We also know from your holy word that you save through baptism by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we think about going forward, we pray that you would help us to better understand what the Bible says about baptism, not using our common sense, but using what you have said to us. Help us always to cling to your word, knowing it is true, believing it, applying it, sharing it, and so on. And then, finally, when we think about our own baptism into Christ, Help us to be so thankful for what you have done and help us that we will always continue to be clothed in Christ until finally we are with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.